The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. And the bass keeps running, running, and 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 in this context, there's no disrespect. So when I bust my rhyme, you break your neck. We got five minutes for us to disconnect from all intellect and let the rhythm affect. Scott, what's that on the side of your head? You're holding your head in a funny way so that I can't really see it. What are you hiding from? Uh, I went to a barber the other day Scott, in preparation for the, the show, and I, I got something kind of embarrassing. Is something written on the side of your head? Yeah. Let me let me come over there and check it out. Fine. I'll let you take a look Oh, here. my God. I cannot believe what you got on the side of your head. I know. I mean, it reads... The Trilogy Podcast, the only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboots, no straight-to-cable. We're bringing you facts, trivia, debate, and more to hell with the movie, If They Made Four. I'm Vin. I'm Scott. And I think we've got a pretty good episode for everybody today. Yes. Uh, I don't know if this song necessarily reveals the episode. More than anything, it reveals that we should begin the episode. Sure, sure. We should start it. Yeah, it started is, what yeah. is what's being said. Uh, we are doing the Barbershop Trilogy. All right, the Barbershop Trilogy. Pretty yes, cool, sir. pretty cool. Uh, I think mostly Scott and I thought that, you know, we're in the time of the year when school is starting up again. Yes. You know, it's all, all the kids are going back to school. And what's the first thing you do when you get ready to go back to school? You get yourself a haircut. You get a fresh cut. Got to get the fresh cut. Yeah, like a fresh cut, maybe a nice new pair of shoes. That's right. And then you just head right into school. Maybe a new backpack. And then all that stuff gets stolen from yeah, you. Yeah, it's meaningless, really, yeah. at the end of the day. Right. But we thought it was a good, you know, a good... But you can't take a fresh haircut away from somebody, you no, know? No, you can't. No, you can't. And I know that personally, Scott, because, uh, you know, my mom is a hairdresser. So this is a world that I kind of grew right. up in myself. Well, you were in the uh, beauty shop. In the beauty shop. Consequently, I've actually never been to a barber. I'm sure you've been to a barber, right, in your life? You know, I've been to a couple in Jersey, and they're very Italian. So okay. It's like, you know? Similar insofar as there's that kind of camaraderie, but from an ethnicity perspective, they're just coming from a different place. Yeah, yeah. But it's idea. a lot of just talking shit yeah. about, you know. This episode will have a lot to do with your family, too, because wasn't your father an alderman in Chicago for a couple of years? Uh, no, no, actually, no. That's... Not, he wasn't? No, I don't know where you Change this. got that information Scott from. But... bio information then. I don't know how I made that mistake. Yeah, I got somebody <laughs> on the Wikipedia just changing things. Ladies and gentlemen, this is actually the second trilogy that we're covering that features a predominantly black cast, the first one being Shaft. And you can generally kind of pair this episode up with Friday. You know, this is sort of Ice Cube's little corner of our universe. Right. You know? So I think we're going to talk about a lot of the similarities that we see and how these things are interconnected as well. Yeah. All right. So let's break down uh, what kind of trilogy this is. Pretty cut and dried. Ooh. Pretty easy, I think. Yeah. All right. I think I've got a guess. Don't jump the gun, Scott. <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, All I... right. what we do is we go to Trilogy Bot, a robot that tells us what kind of trilogy we're doing. That's what we do at this point. Well, it seemed like maybe you knew what the trilogy, you said it was easy. So are, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I don't know until Trilogy oh, Bot oh, tells all right, us. All right. I don't okay, know. Okay. Guess it's not so easy then. All right. I just hope he doesn't get racial with it. Oh, no. Leave that out. Trilogy Bot, if you want to tell us what kind of trilogy this is, it's your time to shine, brother. Barbershop is a gang's all here trilogy. An ensemble cast comes together, or is thrust together, to solve a problem. There are stories and themes often based around the individual characters, while we follow the adventures of the group, from film to film. And now, you bitch ass n- suck my mother f- metal d- Well, um, I bleeped out all of the racial slurs that he put in. 
Oh but I think you got God. the I think you got the drift, okay? Yeah. This is definitely a Gangs All Here trilogy. This is an ensemble piece. I mean, though yeah. Ice Cube is the lead, it's really defined by the camaraderie and the relationship that all the characters have with one another. The interplay between everybody. No yeah. question, no question. Um, even though the third movie has a different gang to some degree, yeah. I still think you consider it Gangs All Here because it's not about one or two people. It's about a group of people, uh, an institution, if you will. Yeah. It's and that be... community seems to evolve over time. So it's like, although we haven't been there in like 10 years, you're like, yeah, yeah. I guess this makes sense. Like over time, things changed a little bit here and there. We also get to hear more than one person's story. Right. And I think that's important because everyone's got their own plot line. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to have hours and hours of plot for these films. Oh, I'm sure. You I know. Mean, they're very in-depth. Uh... <laughs> so by all means, go ahead, Scotty. Uh, what are we doing now, Scott's Plots? Yeah, Scott's Plots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I just this... gave you a great sorry, little build-up, so I'm, just jump yeah, right into it, damn I... it. Okay, all right. All right. Expect from an alderman's Look, son. all I'm asking is that you listen, all right? Just listen. All right, listen. Are you listening? I'm going to talk now. Well, what I'm about to do is explain the plots. And I got to tell you that my name is Scott. I think you're going to like this segment a lot. And you might think that I sound kind of hot. But the thing is, I'm just a normal guy. Okay? And I'm just trying to get by. And sometimes I just want to cry because I just, just want to die. <laughs> oh, yeah. As you can see, I've thrown my hands in the air and I'm waving them like I just don't care. <laughs> That's so, I, you, it looked like you didn't care, but I'm glad you confirmed it. Trust me, I really don't care. So why don't you please <laughs> freestyle uh, okay. your way into some plots? All right. Uh, all jokes aside. Uh, well, most. This is called Scott's Plots. What I do here is give you a quick bare bones kind of recap of the plots. No character names, no specifics. But, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the movies, this will catch you up with what happens in them. And if you have and you don't want to rewatch them, I'll... You know, I'll remind you. Hmm. So uh, we're going to start it off, of course, with the first movie. Great place to start. And uh, that first movie is called Barbershop 2002. In the south side of Chicago. The baddest part of town. Because <laughs> in that song. Oh, oh, bad, bad Leroy Brown. Bad, yeah. South side of Chicago, baddest part of town. No. Okay. Anyway, bad know. joke. A barbershop owner is tired of running the barbershop that he inherited from his father, so he decides to sell it to a local loan shark. But after spending the day at the shop with his staff, including an ex-con, an educated barber, a West African barber, an old barber, a female barber, and a white barber, the barbershop owner realizes the value the shop has to the neighborhood, changes his mind, and tries to get the barbershop back. But the loan shark demands double his money back. The whole deal that the loan shark makes with Calvin is a little bit strange, I think. Because first of all, it's pretty apparent that Calvin owns the building. He's not renting there. Right. He owns the building because of the conversation he has with the, the hair salon next door about rent or whatever. Well, it's, about, he's, it's not even about rent. It's about property taxes, yeah, right? Yeah, so he owes property taxes. Yeah, so he owns it. So you have to think he owns this building free and clear. Yeah, I think I so. I don't care what kind of ghetto that it's in. $20,000 is way too low Yeah, for the building and the business. Yeah. Wait a couple of months and sell it legitimately. Yeah. He didn't say mortgage. He said yeah. property tax. Right. I mean, Lester's like, well, I'll go to the bank. I'll pick up the payments from the bank. For the property tax? Yeah. It's a bullshit deal yeah. from the loan shark. I'm not sure Calvin's a very good businessman. All of his ideas are like 
ridiculous. Like he wants to sell Herbalife, and he wants to. <laughs> yeah, like these yeah, are his yeah. plans to yeah. you know get away from being a business owner <laughs> yeah. that owns a building. I got an idea. I'm gonna go door to door and sell Avon products. <laughs> what? What? Bitch, you I'm gonna own sell a vacuums. Yeah, no you, one's ever done it before. You own a business and a building. <laughs> yeah. You're already very respectable. And clearly it shows in this movie, he owns his own home. So yeah. it's almost like the whole movie is about someone kind of smacking some sense into him and being like, like you're good already, dude. Yeah, I think it's really just about him appreciating the barbershop, right? Yeah. And appreciating his community and and really realizing what it is, yeah. what what it means. You know, like, and then the rest of the movies, he's like, "You better not take my barbershop." For That's granted. the whole thing. Yeah, really. In this film, he only has one moment of weakness where he sells it. The, five minutes later, he listens to a conversation. And he's like, "Shit, I shouldn't have done that." Right. And yeah. then the whole movie is him trying to like yeah. get it back and make a deal yeah. with. I Lester feel like he's it. just guilt ridden about yeah. that one. It was one <laughs> moment. Yeah. He watches his coworkers uh, dance into a rap song. Is like, I realize what I had here. <laughs> All right. I mean, I guess. <laughs> wow. We'll talk about this as we go, Scott. But what I found through this movie is that it's really a series of adversarial positions. This versus this. One side versus another side that the barbers have to kind of hash out. There's a, a couple of you know moral, three or four moral lessons kind of scattered throughout the movie. Um, I call them Eddie lessons. Eddie lessons happen in all three movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the music stops and becomes serious for a moment. Right, yeah. Eddie spins his old man wisdom. Yeah. Even though Cedric the Entertainer was 37 when this movie was made. <laughs> and we learned something. Yeah. So those are peppered throughout this. But when we're talking about plot here, like, there isn't much of a plot. This movie is a slice of black life type of a film. Yeah. In this one, it's set in a barbershop. In Friday, it's set in the hood, you know what right. I mean, on the porch. And all the little episodes that they go through and see and become a part of every day. Yeah. That's how we're talking about here. Meanwhile, two local thieves have stolen an ATM. And when the barbershop owner attempts to confront the loan shark, he leads the police right to the loan shark's chop shop, where the ATM thieves are coincidentally attempting to open the ATM. The police arrive, the barbershop owner collects the reward money for finding the ATM, and the barbershop is safe. And that's it. And that's it. That might be the shortest plots we've ever done. Maybe when we first started this podcast, the Back we were to the doing Future one was shorter. Was short. Yeah. There's a couple that were... When we first started doing this, they were the idea very short. evolved from where we started. It got a little so. crazy. That's the yes. very short, the shortest one in a while. Yeah. Um, I would suggest to you that the second plot, the idea with the ATM machine, yeah, would not be interesting at all if not for Anthony Anderson, who makes it good because yeah. he's good. Yeah. Like every time they get out of the barbershop and take it to that story, you're like, nah. Yeah, like, I like Anthony Anderson, you know. but yeah. And it's convenient that at the end, everything kind of comes back to the chop shop. Anthony Anderson used to work in the chop shop. That's yeah. Lester's chop shop. Right. They go to the chop shop to confront him. Like everything happens to happen there. Yeah. To the point where when Lester comes in the room, he's like, what the fuck is going on out here? <laughs> yeah. Why are there so many people here? He's like, I just thought I was buying a titty bar today. Now everyone's here. The <laughs> cops are rolling in. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really like a lot happens conveniently at one place at the end. Ultimately, this is a good movie, Scott. It it's is. enjoyable. It's, it's a comedy with little moral lessons scattered throughout it. Yeah. Okay. And what's good about it is they're not heavy handed, though. I mean, there is something kind of like wholesome about these movies. Yeah. It's usually something about, you know, like, hey, you know, your community, it's your family. You know, this is our family. Right. And I wrote down three yeah. kind of overarching themes here, and that's going to be be a man which comes back again in three, be true to yourself and remember where you came from. But I think this film really 
delivers these messages without coming off as obnoxious. Whereas around this same time in the world of films, you had like the Judd Apatow comedies that were coming out, mm-hmm. which I think always overdo it with the moral message in the last half hour. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's always funny because like I feel like his movie should be 90 minutes. In the 1980s, if I'm watching Police Academy, at the end of the day, the moral message is, Give the underdog a shot. He has a a chance at winning. No one has to say anything. We don't have to have a scene devoted to it. It just is. Yeah. And I think that's the hallmark of a good comedy. And even though Barbershop does underline its themes, Mm. it doesn't do it in an obnoxious way because the ensemble aspect of it is people talking and it comes out through the through well, conversation. Well, what I was going to say is maybe, you know, the, the key to something like that is an ensemble. Because even you say Police Academy, right? Like, I feel like the theme is just basically like we're all in it together, you know? Right. So they're always working toward a common goal right. and it's not somebody like there, there's not many characters working against what they're doing. Most people are for them, you right. know, and right. want them to succeed. And so you're kind of like, yeah, I guess me too. Like, yeah. I wanna, you know, I want to see mean, these people do even well. to a point where Lester the Loan Shark, you don't hate the guy okay no, he's a no, sh- kind of yeah. a shady city guy a pimp, yeah whatever he is but you're not at the end you're like oh lester doesn't get arrested okay everything's fine everything, yeah yeah you and know like you, you don't know, hate anyone it's keith david so yeah. it's you know it's keith david <laughs> hey survived a goddamn alien maybe <laughs> so first barbershop good fucking movie man yeah all right give us the next one all right and the next one is called barbershop 2 back in business i mean even though they didn't go out of business 2004 sometime later a new corporate barbershop is planning to open across the street from the barbershop as part of new legislation from a local politician hoping to buy out the local shop owners and gentrify the neighborhood. But what is confusing to me is like you think this movie is about gentrification, but they make a big deal out of the fact that these are all black owned businesses. Right. So it matches what gentrification is. But usually one of the big deals about that is it's a cultural shift. In that neighborhood, right. the the culture is, is undermined to some degree. Yeah. So if it's black businesses that are coming in, is it really gentrification? It's really corporatism more than anything else. Right. You yeah. know. And so you know, nappy cuts, nappy cuts. Why would you want to go to a place? Isn't nappy bad? If yeah. if someone says, yeah. "Oh, you got some nappy hair," that's not a that's not a compliment. Why would you call your place nappy yeah. cuts? Yeah. Am I am I missing something? I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a pretty bad name, I think. Yeah. yeah. Also, they keep talking about in all these movies what a bad neighborhood this is. It doesn't seem like that bad a neighborhood. Uh, by the time no. we get to the third movie, shootings outside. Right. Hardcore South Side Chicago shootings. But in the first two movies, you're like, it seems like a pretty nice neighborhood to me. There are no crackheads walking around. There's no homeless people around. Yeah. Everyone seems friendly. It doesn't <laughs> seem like the neighborhood is that bad. I, I mean, even... I don't think they filmed it in the south side of Chicago. Oh, no, no. They filmed it on a soundstage. Of course. But yeah. it's based on the, the exterior of a south side uh, business. While the barbershop owner tries to update his shop to compete with the rumored amenities of the corporate barbershop, his employees deal with a myriad of personal issues. <laughs> and really, his update, that's like three minutes of the movie. It's kind of half-assed. Puts up like you know two pictures on the wall. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and I don't know how he's really competing with a couple with of a... vagina-shaped vases. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's Not a... really competing with a basketball court. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, there's no question that this plot is sort of cobbled together in this movie. Yeah. And then, the, you know, throwing in this lazy injection of beauty shop 
to set that up. Uh, it, it feels right. like when people complain about like you know the MCU and like Marvel movies just like wedging things in to yep. set things up. You're like, what the hell was you know? Yeah, we're seeing the you know the beginnings of that kind of trend right in yeah. here. Because really, I thought there was going to be at least some payoff at the end. No. You know, of her I mean, character they being involved. Created that cookout scene strictly to introduce the characters of Beauty Shop. Yeah. And to set up that film. No other reason. Well, they had the earlier scene where he goes to the shop with the baby and yep. it's almost like, are, are we? Are you saying now he's with Queen Latifah and not with that other woman yeah, for yeah. a second? And then she was like, no, we used to date and like they're like all like Ugh. flirty. And I'm like, are you are you going to leave your wife for her? I, I don't understand. Like, what's this? What's going to happen with this character? Oh, they, nothing. No, oh, okay. no. They just shoehorn a connection in here. Yeah. And frankly, he goes over to get the rent. So he owns the whole building and they're paying rent to him. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's not like they're necessarily in it together. She's there. That's a tenant of his. Later, the owner of the corporate barbershop and the local politician attempt to bribe the barbershop owner to support the legislation and convince the local shop owners to sell. And that's confusing because they basically say, we will give you $200,000 and we will close down nappy cuts. You simply have to go to the board meeting and speak in favor of the company buying everyone out in the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. First of all, we had one scene already where Ice Cube is talking to all the people in the neighborhood and they're all like, I think I'm going to fucking sell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No one is like, I don't want to sell. No, have, everyone's like, it sounds like a good fucking idea. <laughs> right. Like, so what, you know, what, what happened in between that right? scene and the scene where they're all like, no, we don't like this. Right. Like, Who are you convincing? They're like, we're all kind of like about to do it, but we thought we should check with you basically. Yeah. And yeah. Then at and the that's end, his, they're furious. That's his whole moral conundrum. He's like, what am I going to do? Take the money or talk yeah. about how important the barbershop really the is. The opposite of the first movie, yeah. essentially. Like, uh, you know, didn't you learn this lesson in the first movie? Why do you even have to think about it? Yeah. Basically, the first movie was like, hey, you need to appreciate the barbershop. And then everyone else is like, hey, what's wrong with you? Sell the barbershop. <laughs> like at the beginning, you're like. What? I'm confused. I thought well, it was about the community. Now the community's going to leave me? Exactly. Thank you, Calvin, so much for keeping open the yeah. barbershop so that we could, you know, Peace. buy it from you. That's the I'm idea. retiring. Bye. <laughs> yeah, and you don't know what's going on in that scene. There's some sort of payoff between the alderman and the, the guy that owns Nappy Cuts. They show some money in an envelope. We don't know what that's for. Yeah. We don't know what it means. Right. It's not really made clear at all. We don't know what's preventing these guys from just buying the shit. Who needs permission from anyone? Buy yeah. it. What's right. what? There's we don't know what the, the obstacle is, what the barrier is. If the people want to sell their shit, they could just sell it. Why would you need the city to get involved? Right. Zoning? What? What? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I'm no real estate mogul, but it's not made clear. But yeah, it's not like oh, I know you need a hundred percent of everyone to agree. Yeah. Otherwise, how about just one line of dialogue that yeah that fleshes it out for us? Yeah. Ultimately, the barbershop owner decides to get rid of the new changes and shows up to a town council meeting and speaks out against the proposed legislation, which inspires the community but fails to stop the legislation from passing. So it was all for nothing. Yeah. So he decided, he's like, I won't take that $200,000. I'm going to speak from my heart and talk about how important the barbershop is to the community. And then the proposition wins anyway. It doesn't mean anything at all. As if like, I thought it was a little more realistic, though, that it was like, yeah, and that means nothing. Sure. You but know? I find it hard to believe that this That's uh, not going to sway the, the council members yeah, who already been paid off. That's you what know? I'm saying. The nappy cuts guy is not chasing what he would have just given away two hundred thousand dollars for no reason to Calvin at all. Yeah. Since he could have won without him. Since yeah. his words don't mean shit fucking anyway. Right. They don't mean anything. Yeah. So it was all for nothing. 
Yeah. So it opens. That's the idea. Yeah. I mean, it was all for nothing. Yeah. I, I know. It was like, literally the you, plot you of this movie is nothing. all for nothing. Well, I mean, the the only thing I'll say is that he didn't get the result he wanted, but he got the result that he kind of needed. Do you know what I mean? Go on. When the corporate barbershop finally opens, the community, moved by the barbershop owner's words at the meeting, decide to stick with him, and the barbershop is saved. Okay, well, I'm so not I think it was, little... it was his words that made people stay the at the guy, barbershop. Well, well, the one thing, when they all come in, one of the guys, I think they dub in a line of a guy going, I really like what you said at the, the meeting. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I missed that. Okay. I, well, I, I watch it with the... Oh, captions the, on okay. so i'm like oh all right well i mean so i catch these little things but where for I'm me like, oh. that just says that like nothing that he said or did nothing connected to the plot had yeah. anything to do with the result it was all meaningless <laughs> right all of the mechanizations it meant much nothing ado about nothing meant nothing you know? i would much rather have seen a movie where maybe calvin's got to compete against the guys across the street and he and every time they do something he does kind of a little one-upsmanship right and, a yeah, back like and they're forth. going but yeah and then he eventually wins out he he captures with you know gives a speech to everyone and wins the hearts of the people right maybe like if it was just like another rival not even if it was like a corporate if it was another right. guy who owned a barbershop right like if it was one of the guys from the first movie who was like mad about something or yeah, other yeah. or was going off on his own and they ended up competing you know that would be or lester opens up his own barbershop that has the strippers in it like he wanted to get yeah. for Calvin's. and it's like what's more important in the community then i could get behind it right there's sort of a threat of something happening in yep. the movies it's never like something happens then we have to deal with the fallout it's sort of like i guess in business that's the thing it's like you have to be kind of like well i have to I, if I think something's going to happen, I have to really react to it right, in right. that way. But it's it's just kind of odd that you're watching the movie. You're like, yeah, but nothing. Yeah, but that might going. not happen. Nothing. You know? ha- yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at the end, you're like, well, nothing happened. Like, I mean, you it's free enterprise. And guess what? You won. People like the barbershop. All right. Yeah. yeah. I like it, too. It looks cool. I'd rather go there than the nappy cuts. If there was yeah, a barbershop that was fine. there for 50 years in any neighborhood yeah. and like a great clips opened across the street. They would be closed in like a few months. Right. How much money do you have to spend at that place? It seems like it's very high end. And right. I'd be like, at the end of the day, like, yeah, you might do it once and then be like, I'm fucking good. Yeah, like, I'm going to go to my regular place I, because he doesn't I, rip me off. Yeah, I want a $15 cut real yeah. fast. You know? And I don't want to have to, I don't need to look at fish while doing <laughs> yeah, it. You know, like, it's like, like if you had those options at the dentist, you know, it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. Like, that, yeah, those luxuries don't go together. Yeah. Scott, this movie didn't need to be made. I really kind of resented it to some degree. And we, you know, we, you know, again, we money see this grab, money uh, in many trilogies. The first one was pretty good, yeah. but I don't think good enough to have many sequels and then spawn a whole other series of movies like they right. obviously intended, right. right? Yeah. Because remember, the first movie, part of what was good about it was its freshness. They set it in a barbershop. It was a new location. Yeah. White people got a chance to see what it was like in a black barbershop, which is an institution we don't know anything about. It was unique, and that's why it worked. You don't have to send me back there and make it a franchise because it was a cute little movie. It was it was not you yeah. know heavy-duty stuff. Right. So it just felt cheap. It just felt like yeah. you're trying to grab a buck. And when you throw in all that beauty shop Latifah crap, it's like, you're taking advantage of us now. Hey, and she's, it, it, she's it, a queen. If she's such a queen, if she's so funny... Let her fucking just start her own movie and 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 sell it to us that way. I didn't need a a, a starter movie to get me into barbershop. I just wanted yeah. to see barbershop. Yeah. So I don't need to beauty shop to be introduced to me for fuck's sake. There was no payoff. No, for those any scenes of that. were a trailer for their film. That's all I, it was. I know, and I, that's the thing is, while it was happening, I d- I actually didn't hate. The, the beauty shop scenes. Surely something was no. coming. Like they, no, like they were gonna like team up. 
in some way. And then the very, you know, the third movie, that's exactly what they do. Yeah. All right. Speaking of the third movie. Take it away, brother. Barbershop. The next cut. 2016. Over a decade later, the barbershop is now a barbershop slash beauty shop. And the barbershop owner's childhood friend now works there. And his son is good friends with the barbershop owner's son. I think it was a mistake to combine them in the third movie. Because I don't think that the beauty shop added anything to the story. I mm. thought I thought that they didn't give the women enough time to really do anything interesting except for menage, which wasn't interesting. The barbershop culture is not the same as the beauty shop culture. And the logic in the movies are like, oh, this saved us both from the reception when we combine forces. You own the building. How did that save your business? Yeah. You need them to pay you rent. So did you not charge them rent in some way to save their business? Yeah. How did that help? you because yeah, it's not like it's yeah it's not like because they're they've joined forces people that would go to the beauty shop give business to the barber shop and vice versa it's two completely separate things yeah you know it's not like i go to the barber shop hey can bring my wife here and go to the beauty shop that's not how life works yeah i just kind of bought it didn't really think about it and was like well that doesn't really make sense well, but okay start, like start thinking about it because <laughs> this is business 101 in this fucking podcast buddy this shit is important. It doesn't make business sense to me. I'll fucking shut this fucker down right now. <laughs> the south side of Chicago is experiencing an increase in gang-related violence, which leads the barbershop owner to look into moving the barbershop to the north side to protect his family. I don't know whether this is more justified because he does have a son and wants yeah. to take him out of that community. Like, his his argument is pretty reasonable, actually. Yeah. Like, you're allowed to sell your business. Yeah. You know, like, seven fucking seven or eight people are dependent upon him. It's not like he's putting right. a workforce out of business. Right. They can all yeah, find yeah. a barbering work somewhere else. Well, clearly, as the movies continue, a lot of them are like, all right, see ya. Um, I, I have a whole other career I'm yeah. doing now, and yeah. uh, I'm not even a barber. Like exactly, this was a stepping stone. Sell Goodbye. your fucking business. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, Sell I was it. trying to make fast cash and cut hair. Like no, but we see as this movie goes on that fucking the barbershop not only is it the cornerstone of the community, it's it's like the it's like the mayor's office. Like everything happens out out of the barbershop. Yeah, it's taken to a level where you're like, holy shit. Yeah, tell me the last time a barbershop that you know of is trending on Twitter. Later, the barbershop owner and his childhood friend's sons get into a gang-related fight at school as they are both considering joining a gang. The barbershop owner decides to appeal to two gang leaders to initiate a 48-hour ceasefire in exchange for free haircuts, and the gang leaders agree. Isn't that a little backwards? Wouldn't they do the thing where over the weekend they give free haircuts in hopes that at the end of it it would result in a ceasefire as opposed to having a ceasefire so they could give free free haircuts and do what what happens at the end of the free haircuts like it just brings the community yeah. together you'd think it would be the other other way around you know well my expectation was that you would have a lot of gang members coming in being like oh i can go free it doesn't matter we don't have to worry about rumbling or anything yeah. you know, like we've all agreed to a ceasefire let's go get a free fucking haircut yeah, that like, doesn't happen and you expect, like, at some point they would maybe talk and be like, ha, 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 and, like, you no. make whatever their differences. No, not really. No, the idea is they, they have the ceasefire immediately. That just takes one conversation. It's nothing. Yeah. Then they give the free haircuts so that, I don't know, the, the concept can go viral. Like, they can bring... Yeah. You know, bring it to light. Awareness. Yeah, and awareness. I don't... But after the first day of no violence, a police officer informs the barbershop owner that a kid who used to help around the shop was killed in a gang shooting, prompting the barbershop owner to become disillusioned and almost cancel the ceasefire. 
you know, it's a beautiful moment where all they're dancing and they're happy, and you're like, this is a barbershop again. Then all of a sudden, oh, Barbershack's back, baby. Yeah, everything's great. And then the cop comes in, and he's like, the nice kid was gunned down. Yeah. And you're like, Christ. <laughs> you can read it all over his face, too. And he's like, oh, man, they're. Oh, you hate to walk in on a room full of people dancing. Fucking dancing. Yeah. You got Common. Like, oh, man. Common's breakdancing, yeah. and I got to stop that with this piece of news? Right. I, I was hoping it was quiet when I came in just to be like, hey. Uh. The, cop's like, the cop's like, I didn't even go to the mother and father. I came to the barbershop first to tell you. You guys are the ones that run this yeah. neighborhood. And he's like, I knew when I walked in here, you'd be dancing. Yeah. And oh, it'd be hard. I don't so. want to ruin that barbershop vibe. <laughs> well, that's around the part of the movie where you're like, yeah, barbershop is back. It's mm-hmm. not all dramatic like it was. This isn't a drama. We're back to the barbershop and this happens and you're like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, he's like, wow, they found like a really good way to trump hate with love. You're like, no, come out, get free haircuts. It's it's all good. Like, That's let's when the have movie starts getting yeah. better, I think. From the ceasefire on, it really starts to pick like, up. It, like, because I think that, like, really, that's the answer to like, gang violence is like, or at least I think the movie's trying to make that point that, like, you need to have uh, engagement yeah. in the community. No doubt. From the actual community being like, hey, guys, like, let's fucking knock it off. We all live here and, you know, you're making it dangerous for us and, and we I, don't want to have to leave. Right. But, and I think that's a real thing, too. I think that's, yeah. a, that's a relevant point. But then a famous basketball player stops by the shop and the barbershop begins trending on social media, bringing in a large crowd. Suddenly, the childhood friend's son runs into the shop and tells the barbershop owner that his son is about to be initiated into a gang. And the barbershop owner rushes to stop him. But when the barbershop owner arrives, his son has decided not to join the gang. And the next day, the barbershop owner cuts his son's hair. I gotta tell you, I think that's a really nice part of the movie. It was. I think that the son plot is the strongest part of the movie. I thought that shot, too, was, like, really strong of, like, watching the car drive away and having him, like, getting out, like, oh, no, and then the kid's standing there. Perfect. I think they should have really leaned on the son subplot as opposed to the violence in Chicago subplot and really just leaned on the fact that his son was threatened and kind of worked that angle. Because I like those scenes. You had that great twist there where you think it's the friend that's getting into the gang, but it's really his son that's the one getting into right. the gang. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. common son, but his son that's the right. kind of the main well, gang. Yeah, dude. I mean, they pushed it so hard, I kind of figured, you know, like of him being like, don't get your son away from me. Like, whoa, aren't we like best friends? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you talking to me I mean, they said, but I mean, <laughs> that's the, the, in theory, that's the twist, right? Yeah. But you know what it reminded me of? That great scene at the end where the son is left standing there, right? Yeah. It, it harkens back to me to the scene in Friday, okay, where the father says to Ice Cube, he says, I bet you think you're a man with that gun in your hand. And Ice Cube says, I'm a man without it. Yeah. Okay, so that just kind of brings it all full circle. Like, for Ice Cube as a as a man, as a performer, as an actor. Like, right, you see as the a tra- father. Yeah, yeah, and you see the transition between him just as a person from Friday to this movie. Yeah. And the next generation. I thought it was a really sweet moment. I really liked it. Again, these movies are interconnected in a lot of different ways when it comes to just like that kind of, you know, masculinity, how to handle yourself. Right. Yeah. I really liked that, that that one scene, too, where he's he's like he's like, oh, that's corny. That's corny. And he was like, why is taking care of your business corny? That's not corny. That's being a fucking man. I wrote that's, it down right know, like here. It's... He says it's not corny to be a man. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. such a throwback to Friday to me. I think these trilogies are very much connected thematically. And in Ice Cubian way. Really? I mean, that father-son relationship within the black community is such an important one. And we hear in the news all the right. time about how, you know, black fathers aren't present. And and when they are, 
it's you see it in like a movie like Boys in the Hood too. Yeah. With, with Fishburne and his relationship with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. Right. And right. it's a different kind of father you have to be when your child is at risk all the time from racism from other right. you're living black at, people. I mean, you're living in, in an entirely different kind of community. Yeah. You know? like, so you see that that kind of a relationship is a very tricky one. That's it, a that's an everyday danger. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to parent in a very specific kind of a way. There's an early scene where he says, he's like, why are you taking away everything that I like? Because I love you. Yep. Like, and I'm like, I kind of get it. But like, as a teenager, you're like, that's such a fucking bullshit cop out. But like to a father, you're like, no, I get it. I really thought the script was very good. I'm telling you that, that that's the best part of the movie. The father son thing. It redeems yeah. the movie for me. I thought that was good. I thought the dialogue was much punchier and funnier in the barbershop, too. Uh, I thought Cedric, the entertainer, like I think he's good in all of them. But like, I thought he really shined in this with the I other feel like comedians they took, they took around. a little bit too long to, to turn on Cedric in this one. He didn't have a lot of good scenes till for me. It was the last yeah. third of the movie. You know why? Because they, they stuck him, him with that sexist stuff early on yeah. where I was like, it's a yeah. little, at this point, it's a little played. hacky. Yeah. You know, like. It's played out. Yeah. For me, it's the last third of this movie that works. Father-son stuff. You know what? I think to like kind of pinpoint and talk about something you were saying before of should have just left it and let it be more about the father-son thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the key is the opening and closing thing this letter that he's not really writing to anybody like dear chicago you know like right cut all that i agree you know like cut that because it guides it as more of like a social issue thing Mm -hmm. where i think the story at its heart is really more about his fear as a father right protecting his son and not doesn't want him to go down that road and wants to keep him you know this is why we have the barbershop because we have a community place for people to go where it's not the street there are plenty of themes in the movie that can appeal to everybody yeah. So yeah. Uh, though the struggles of the African-American in this country are specific in their own way, they're also universal in some way because it's just a human struggle. Right. It's And, and so I yeah. think that's an important thing yeah. to think about. And again, I mean, like you've said, too, I mean, they highlight every possible, you know, walk of life yeah. in this movie. Like, you know, rich, old, young, yeah. white. Like, Everyone's kind of represented. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So those are the plots. That's them. All right. They're fucking done. That was a fast one, Scotty, my boy. Mm-hmm. And I now think it is time to move on to, I've got to, I'm not going to say my favorite part, but yeah. it's the part where I get to talk the most. So, Well, to be fair, you've already done quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just skip this part. No, we can't because Billy has something to say to us. Wait, who? Billy? Information! Barbershop was directed by Tim Story, a guy that has directed a lot of, you know, African-American films, whether it be a Taxi, which is a smoldering hunk of shit. Oh, Queen Latifah, Queen Latifah and, and, and Jimmy Jim, Fallon. It's awful. Yeah, it's a remake of a Luc Besson movie. Is that right? Yeah. Tim Story also directed the first two Fantastic Four movies. Really? The ones that people fucking hated. <laughs> wow. The first one in Silver Surfer. Oh, yeah. Rise of the Silver Surfer. He used to be in a rap group with Ice-T. Oh, I really wished it was Barbershop 2, Rise of the Silver <laughs> Surfer. <laughs> yeah. It is known by many names. My people called it Galactus, the devourer of worlds. Not only is what you're saying not true. It is wrong and disrespectful for you to discuss Rosa Parks in that way. This is an MGM movie. Producers wanted to portray African-Americans in a more positive and three-dimensional light. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was some controversy about this movie. Fucking Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton 
complain to MGM about all the shit that Eddie is saying about oh, fuck wow. Jesse Jackson, making yeah. fun of Martin Luther King, calling him a hoe. Yeah. Rosa Parks, all she did was sit her ass down. Yeah. There was that was like a big deal at the time. Yeah. The the fact that they were saying this in a movie and they tried to appeal to MGM to get those scenes cut out when it was released to wow. DVD and they failed. Yeah. Because they didn't cut shit out. Jesse Jackson, he'd lost his relevance as a civil rights activist to some degree. So now right. he and Al Sharpton are teaming up for some nonsense, which in the context of the movie is perfectly fine. And even Cedric the Entertainer is like, I was playing a character in a movie. That's not how I feel. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a it's an outrageous he's obviously, character. Yes, he's the iconoclast, right? He's the the contrarian. He's right. the one who's like, he's like, I don't care. You know, everybody likes Rosa Parks. You know what? I don't like Rosa exactly. Parks. Exactly. He's a tell like, it like it is guy. Right. So, so that was a, there was a big buzz about that, I remember, at the time. I'd forgotten about it until I looked this up. Man, fuck Jesse Jackson. Oh. The cast spent a month um, at Barber College learning how to cut hair. Wow. Don't know if that was necessary at all, since all the hair cutting we see is a close-up of a hand. Which I'm sure is they brought in stylists. Them, right. Yeah. The movie was made for $12 million and did about $77 million, which is a good you know, a good little profit for a movie like this. Yeah. That was when you could release a movie and see a small profit like this, and it was a success. And it got really good reviews. People they described it as like the poetry of conversation. It inspired a 2005 Showtime series called Barbershop, mm. starring Omar Gooding. Cuba Gooding's ah. sibling, I believe. Omar Lasted Gooding. for one season, 12 episodes. Omar Gooding, who was on uh, Wild and Crazy Kids uh, on Nickelodeon back I, in the day? I don't know. I, I believe he was. Was he? I don't know much about the Gooding family. It's And anyway. you know a lot about them. Well, he happened, I happened to know that was his brother. <laughs> when Cuba Gooding started becoming like a big deal, you were like, oh, that's, I think that's Omar and then it turned out he was. And now, Omar of course, you call him, uh, you know, Cuba batting. Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr. turned himself into New York City police today following allegations that he groped a woman at a bar, something he fiercely denies. But now comes word that a second woman is stepping forward with similar accusations. Now, Barbershop 2, back in business, it was made for $30 million, did $66 million total. All right. Opened number one in the theaters. Yeah. Again, got decent reviews. People said it wasn't as biting as the first movie. It might have had a little more warmth, okay? But I think that's only because we know these characters now, and we like them. We all don't need the... to waste so much time yeah. on introduction. And, right. Yeah. Pretty much all the characters returned. The reason, and you'll, we'll hear about it in a sec when I break down the actors, is none of them are really that famous. So it's not like <laughs> yeah. they have anything better to do. They had a surprise hit. Yeah, you're coming back. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you come back? And. As we already discussed, it's really a setup for the Beauty Shop movie, yeah. which was released the following year yeah. and was not a success, was a bomb. And they take the fucking Beauty Shop out of Chicago and send it down to Atlanta. So it's not like the movie exists next door to Calvin. Right. It, it, she moves and goes to Atlanta. You can't have it both ways. You can't try and piggyback this movie and then not piggyback it. Assuming yeah. that the character is interesting because she's not that interesting. Reduce it to a cameo. Yeah. Reduce the amount that she's in the movie. I, I can totally understand why for Beauty Shop they would want to move it to Atlanta because it gives you a wide open thing. You don't have to worry about crossing over characters, which makes sense. But then why did you jam, jam it so right. hard into this movie? Right. Why can't you know? it just be its own movie? Right. From the producers of Barbershop. Thank God y'all open. I got a wedding to get to in three hours. I'll hook you up. Oh. Let me see what we working with under this hat. Yeah. I'm having some Don King issues. <laughs> Beauty Shop. 
And then we got Barbershop, uh, the final cut. This was many years later. 12 or 13 yeah, years yeah, later. Right? We lose like uh, a lot of the main characters. You yeah. know? We lose Ricky. We lose Dinka. Yeah. Um, and the others really just make cameos. You know, like uh, yeah. Isaac just makes kind of a cameo. Uh, Jimmy, just a little cameo. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it's a different barbershop. The, the director is Malcolm Lee. He directed the reboot of Space Jam recently. Oh, okay. okay. I did not see that. Um, but the guy, we lost Ricky because the actor that played Ricky, he hated the script so much. And he's like, it's not in the spirit of Barbershop. It's not the Barbershop I know. Listen, maybe he just wanted it to be a, a funny comedy. Yeah. And didn't want to deal with all the well, heavy. I mean, isn't there kind of a thing like you don't, you're not really supposed to talk politics in the Barbershop? You know, like, yeah. They would say, even in like in bars, too. I they agree. say, like, you know, when you're drinking, no, no religion, no, no, religion, no politics. No. You know? And I agree. And that's why I think that for the first, you know, the first chunk of the third movie sort of fails because it is too heavy on that shit this movie got really great reviews though yeah Um, they said it strikes a good balance it was made made for 20 million but you know did 55 million it competed. It competed against the Jungle Book and kind of got demolished by the Jungle Book, which I think is kind of funny because how are, how do those audiences in any way overlap? People yeah. go see the Jungle Book versus fucking Barbershop. Yeah. The next cut. As long as I am leader, this part of the jungle is closed to you. Looks like you're on the wrong side of town, nigga. Wait a minute. Wait. 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 Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Lest you think that Nicki Minaj wasn't honored for her role in this movie. She achieved a uh, Teen Choice nomination for Best Actress for this film. Aww. So you know that it's, you know. Wow. It's a step above, like, the Blockbuster Award. Honestly, I didn't think she was terrible. I didn't think she was acting, but, like, you know, I just thought she was there to, like, add a little commentary to the the girls group. Because the rest of the girls group are, like, what? Nothing. I I legitimately thought she was terrible. Um, (laughs) I really did. Uh, What was this award for? I'm sorry. They tried to get Obama for that scene at the end. Really get Obama. It looks like it's him. Yeah. 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 I was shocked. It's not like, you know, the Naked Gun movies where they try to do, like, it's it's Bill Clinton and, like, you yeah. don't see him, but you hear the voice, and you're like, "It's just a guy Come on. with gray hair. It's not. Or it's even Queen close Elizabeth, but like it's him. obviously not Queen Elizabeth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not her. Yeah, that's not. I know what she really looks that's like. That's an actress, Damien. <laughs> we are here at the Hyde Park Hair Salon, only a few blocks away from Senator Obama's home, and he's been coming here 15 years. Yeah, about 14, 15 years. And tell me, through all that time, from 15 years ago to as recent as yesterday morning, he was right here in your chair. What do you guys talk about? Black people <laughs> need to stop lying. All right, the actors who are in all these uh, films, uh, there's four or five, we'll go through them fast. The main actor, of course, is Ice Cube. Okay, mm. Now, Ice Cube is a trilogy superstar because, as we said, you got the Friday trilogy. He was also in the Triple X trilogy as well. Ah, yes. As we know, Ice Cube began as one of the rappers and primary songwriters for NWA, yeah. which was a very controversial rap group at the time. Yeah. I can't even tell you what that stands for, or I'll be I'll be no. I'll be canceled. Yes. But he was he's been in a ton of movies. It was the Friday trilogy that showed that he could be a bankable star, though. But I mean, he had a great role in Boys in the Hood, Three Kings, goofy ass shit like Anaconda, where he kind of rose above yeah the subject matter. Yeah, because his I mean I feel like his early roles were sort of like gang related or like him just sort of being a right. badass and then when he kind of branched out they took the badass part of him and like you can just be like 
in Anaconda and yeah, be a badass. Exactly, because he's always going to play an angry dude. His uh, honestly, his type has shifted so many times in his career. Like, because then now he's sort of like the dad. It's like a, a different kind of warmth. You know what I mean? It comes from a hard ass place. Yeah, he's always going to be hard and have that famously tough, tough face, mean face, unlaughing face. Yeah. But as time has gone on, that's turned into a certain kind of warmth. Probably around the time of the third movie he was doing uh the uh 21 jump street movies yeah right? he did both 21 where jump street he was movies. he's hilarious and he's yep. just he's being classic trying to classic yelling uh commissioner yeah. or chief or whatever no and doubt. but he's great because he brings back like don't forget i can be the angry yeah. <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean like because he's he's got are we there yet and like all these other That's like family thing. movies he does now he so. does the, he was the uh, both are are we there yet movies and um both ride-along films i think there was two but he plays that frustrated guy that's like frustrated and angry at the world around him that he can't yeah. control and that's kind of his gimmick yeah lavender body wash make my pores tingle yeah it's cedric the entertainer one of the original kings of comedy and i think that's what made him famous trilogy superstar he oh. had a, a small role in, in the big mama trilogy oh and uh, Madagascar, of course. He was in, uh, of, did yes. a voice in all three Madagascar yes, films. Yes, that's right. He did a terrible fucking movie called The Johnson Family Vacation, where it's oh, him up yeah. against Steve Harvey. Actually, now you say it, I think he used to be on the Steve Harvey show a little bit, too, in his early Is career. that right? I think well, he's, he that's was, another yeah. king of comedy. Yeah, yeah. So they're connected. He did uh, the black remake of The Honeymooners. And with, uh, was that Mike Epps? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And he did a movie called Codename the Cleaner, which is famously one of the worst reviewed films of all time. <laughs> I'm like an unpaid electric bill. I'll put your lights out. Eve is a rapper. Yes. His first three albums were big hits, and her first album was actually a number one hit, and that was like right around this time. I want to say it was like 98 or 99. She was part of that Rough Riders crew. Yeah. And so she was the first kind of female breakout from that. It was only, I think is only one of three female rappers that went number one on the Billboard charts. She's also a trilogy superstar. She was also in the Triple X trilogy. Oh, really? She had a UPN sitcom called Eve from 2003 to 2006. I vaguely remember that. So I think that's what... But she's basically playing herself in all these things. Yeah. You know. Right. Sean Patrick Thomas, the guy that plays Jimmy, is most famous for... Save the Last Dance. Yeah. That interracial romance movie that yes. he played with Julia Stiles. That's what he's famous for. You got the guy who played Isaac, Troy Garrity. Did you know that's Jane Fonda's son? That's really? the son of Jane Fonda and the famous activist Tom Hayden, the famous 60s activist and Abby Hoffman contemporary. Oh, wow. That's their son. Ah. And he's not really... Like a regular actor, it seems like he's I got the. Just famous... watched the trial of Chicago Seven just the other day, so I, I got that, that reference. Definitely, it's... there you go. <laughs> um, he was in Bandits, that Bruce Willis film. The Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, he was also in uh, the Gangster Squad. Oh, I saw. Remember that, that movie? Yeah. And he had a, a reoccurring part in the Rock series on HBO, Ballers. Ballers. Jasmine Lewis, Calvin's wife, is kind of famous for um, like 90s black sitcoms, yeah. like on UPN. So if you look at her uh, her credits, you're going to see Martin, Family Matters, Wayne's yeah. Brothers, Malcolm and Eddie, In the House, Living Single, Moesha. That's basically what she's famous for. Not right. really any films. So, And finally, Dion Cole, who's pretty minor in the first two movies, um, has like one scene in each of those movies, but is a major character in the third movie. Yeah. Um, he's a stand-up comedian and actually wrote for Conan, won two Emmy Awards. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons they, they increased his profile so much in the third movie is because he had an ongoing part in Blackish from 2014 yeah, to 2022. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's so on that So I think well. people got to know him more, and so as a result, they kind of made him a bigger part of this film. I invited my friend Dion Cole out to lunch. 
I said, Dion, you pick the place. He said, how about M&M Soul Food in Inglewood? I've been here about half an hour, no Dion. And I don't blend in. Where the hell were you? I've been, I, here, I've been here 45 minutes, standing here. I didn't think you was gonna show up. So I think we're to the point now, Scott, where we uh, jump into our little breakdowns, the little yes. minor notes that we've taken, the little funny things and interesting bits from this trilogy. Yeah. Barbershop. I know a place. I think we got to do a little um, bookkeeping first. We had a couple of interesting actors in Barbershop. You got Anthony Anderson, who's a trilogy superstar. Okay? Yeah. He's in, um, if you remember, he's got that bit part in Harold and Kumar. Yes. He's also got a part in Big Mama's House. And over the years, he's gotten really big because of uh, the lead role in Blackish. He's the bad guy in the fourth season of The Shield. Is that right? And he's fucking incredible. From now on, I say, suck my dick. You say, you want me to lick your balls, daddy? And of course, if we're talking trilogy superstars, we cannot omit Keith David. Yeah. Of course, right. when we did the Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy. He's a major part of the movie, The Thing. Um, and he's also, if you remember, in Missing in Action as well. Oh, the that's missing right. Missing in Action yeah, yeah, yeah. trilogy. And he's in Transporter 2. Whoa. So he's in four different trilogies. Whoa. Keith David, right? God, feels like years since I just... Sat down. There's this uh, opening where you have Ice Cube working on his home studio. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but something about the way it's shot and the way it looks, it just reminded me of the opening of Back to the Future. Kind of a cluttered feel about it. Yeah. It's got a weird, like, sort of tracking shot. I was like, why is he working in Doc's lab? Like, what is, what is going on here? <laughs> so Ricky, you know, the cop comes in and gives Ricky shit because Ricky's an ex-con right. and he thinks he's involved with the ATM. And Ricky clips him with the, the clippers. Yeah. And and cuts him a little bit and i was just like well that's assaulting an officer no like isn't he on probation yeah, like he's yeah. and that's why he's giving him shit and he's like looking for a reason to drag him in right. and hold him so he can question him and immediately he gives him one they're like yeah. well, he should just arrest him immediately and, and but, go but and instead, there you go instead like, the cop looks up and he's like he's like Mm-hmm. All right, you got like, like, right. you, you got okay. me, son. You all got right. me. Okay. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. he give, kind of gives like the Denzel reaction <laughs> yeah. of like, all right, okay, I see what you're doing. Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay, all right. And we've got our first conflict as we meet the characters. The first conflict comes up, and that's educated against uneducated. Yeah, the e elite, the working man, intelligent, right? Versus the like the working yeah. man. You know how there's there's the back and forth between like Jimmy and Ricky. Like he's gonna one up everyone. And Jimmy goes, "I bet you all didn't even know that Jesus wasn't Christian." And Ricky's like, "Why are you always coming in here trying to throw out trivia at us? That's not trivia." Right. That Jesus wasn't Christian. That's well known. That's really well and known. It's documented. Like, it's like the point of a whole religion. Yeah. Like that's not a good example of like you having knowledge that we don't have. Many yeah. most people know that. You can't, yeah, Jesus couldn't have been a Christian. The religion was named after him after he was crucified. Like it's not like so do you know what he the, couldn't have possibly this is been not a Christian. piece of information about a fucking scallop. This yeah. is Jesus. Yeah. I, I love too, like when he was like, Oh snap, he knows what a scallop you is. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> they make it play him like he's a smart guy, but just not an educated guy. Right. Well, you're struggling to get your GED. Yeah. So maybe. Well, it's funny. But you know all about mollusks? What yeah. Do you, that's not on the. That's <laughs> not on the. I used to tutor GED. It's not on the GED. You know what, schoolboy, for your information? A scallop is a shellfish. No, I'm afraid it isn't. 
No, I'm afraid it is. Because it's a mollusk. Before it comes to your dinner plate, it got two shells wrapped around it just like a clam. And we meet Eve and the whole apple juice thing. When Jimmy is looking at the apple juice in the fridge and he's kind of looking at it and he sees the sign that she left, yeah. he looks at it in an almost sexual way. He's looking at it and he's like, God damn, this motherfucking apple juice. <laughs> This is some beautiful ass apple juice. Like he looks at it and you're like, Jesus, man. And yes. Scott, we find out later, I guess, um, in some um, extra scenes on the DVD. Yeah. Eddie's the one that drinks her apple juice. Ah. It's not even him. There's even a brand of apple juice called yeah. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. <laughs> yeah. Was this all planned? Oh, my God. We've, we've been deceived by Big Apple. Big Apple. 3 a.m. Is it so sad when Eve takes um, Dinka's flowers and throws them down on the ground and you just hear Dinka go, it's it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> she had to cry for it, Dinka. It's cool, it's, it's cool. I quite like Dinka. I like him too. I enjoyed Dinka. <laughs> I'm big boned, Rick. Hefty, rotund. There's too much of myself to go around. I love there's the scene, like maybe the one of very few scenes where Cedric the Entertainer shows why he's at a barbershop at all, because he barely cuts hair or does right. any of that, right? But there's the one scene where he's he's trying to shave the guy and he's like, No, you young kids don't know okay. nothing. Come over that's, here. And... That's Eddie lesson number one. Yeah. And that brings in the second conflict, and that's young versus old. Right. And he says, you know, you got no sense of history, but you want respect from somebody. Right. You don't when know you where you're When come you haven't from. even earned it. Haven't yet. even it's earned it. it. Yeah. It's a great moment. Oh, yo, young folks don't know nothing about nothing. I'll show you, I'll show you how to do a shave. And then immediately <laughs> it was like waiting for him to just cut the guy's throat. Like, oh no, oh well, uh, uh, well. <laughs> Sit up there, just watch too much TV and listen to that uh, jiggery oh, and all. We get the ATM story and they bring the ATM machine to whatever the guy's house and the little sister is there. And that is so classic to any like black comedy, that annoying little sister. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She real, she's a throwback to like D from what's happening. There's the younger sister in Stranger Things, and when she first in her first season when she shows up, she really is just the bratty. I'm gonna tell Mama, Erica, please just go away. Here's the deal: either you tell me what's happening, or I tell Dustin what I found under your bed. Please. No. Yeah. So, so there's the part two where his wife comes, I think, to the shop, and they go into the back to have a conversation and while they're back there everyone's at the door yeah listening but like the the whole time they're like listening and they're like i can't hear anything i can't hear anything i can't hear anything and then they come out after like i didn't hear anything i'm like why the fuck did we even have the scene of them <laughs> listening at the door if they weren't going to hear any information they, also too keith david came at some point and they went in the back and had a meeting they had no interest they, in know. listening at the door. Wouldn't you go, wouldn't that be the one you were like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Why is this guy here? Who gives a shit? Meanwhile, like, Eddie might have the funniest line with Keith David. I can't repeat the joke because of our world, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm gonna play it for you right now. Eddie, nigga. Now, right in there, Scott, is where you get sort of the signature scene of the movie. Okay, you get uh, Eddie lesson number two. 
Uh-huh. And it's the whole thing about black people always lying. Lying about this, lying about that. Yeah. All right. Where he disparages Rosa Parks as, you know, being not the first woman to refuse to sit at the back of the bus, but just the most acceptable one for the NAACP. Right. Which, since this movie has become more a common piece of knowledge about the the civil rights movement. She was sort of the the poster child, if you will. But this is where you get another one of our conflicts here. This is the beginnings of wokeism versus not woke. Yeah. And that's tied into the age of Eddie. Because they also talk about, you know, like reparations. And when they mention like Rodney King, uh, criminal justice. And this is kind of the vibe you get in a lot of these movies is older black folks that have really fought the struggle and the real civil rights movement. They're saying basically like that the younger generation, like you're not telling us anything we didn't know. As black men, we know the deck is stacked against us, but don't make it worse for us by having no personal responsibility. And there's a whole speech later that uh, Ricky gives uh, when they're talking about reparations. When he's like, teach your kids more than something other than the Chronic album. Be on time for something other than, than uh, uh, yeah, something free before the, 11 or something club like or whatever. that. The club, yeah. So, I mean, it connects back to young versus old, but to some degree, that's the beginnings of wokeism versus not woke. Right. About, you know, weaving in personal responsibility. Because people that are, I don't know, woke now or social justice warriors, they're reticent to talk about, you know, whatever, you know, the black, black on black crime or the things that blacks presumably do to make their situation worse. And they're willing to say, well, no, it all comes back to just an innate racism anyway. So that's irrelevant. And this movie is basically saying, well, it's not really irrelevant. Right. Those things are factored into the equation. Right. And that's the famous part of the movie. That's the one that everyone quotes. When I first saw it, it's the funniest. Like, it's it's great. Three things that black people need to tell the truth about. One, one, Rodney King should have got an ass beat for driving drunk and being grown in a Hyundai. Two, OJ did it. OJ did it. And three, Rosa Parks ain't do nothing but sit her black ass down. That's right, I There's a moment, you know, of Anthony Anderson in his trials and tribulations trying to open the ATM. He lets out a uh, damn, 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 damn. Florida, Which, Florida from uh, good, um, times. good times. And it might be one of my favorite scenes in any sitcom. But Loved you it. know, it was a straight up, you know, recreation. No of question. Yeah. No question. The scene where Eve's cheating boyfriend comes in and like confronts her or whatever. <laughs> yeah. In like, I mean, one sentence, this guy shits on Dinka, calls him <laughs> yeah. Mandela, calls him Mandingo, calls him Kutakinte, and then starts talking to him in like African click language. Yeah. And it's like, it's, Jesus it's Christ, like rapid man. fire, too. I like, mean, sh- come on, man. He's next to you for like three seconds, yeah. and you're like, can you get up my shit? Like, these are all the anti African jokes that I have right now. Like, just like throwing them at him. Like, fucking God. We get it. He's a bad guy. Yeah, like yeah. we really get okay, it. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. He actually reminds me of the bad guy from Coming to America. Oh yeah, good one. Right, like, Eric LaSalle, who was also kind of like he's just kind of a dick. Yeah, like, he's just, and he makes the know. same kind of anti-African things. He's like, what kind of games do y'all play in Africa? Chase the monkey. <laughs> and then around this time, Scott, we get to the final conflict in the movie. We already talked a little bit about educated versus um, working man, young versus old, woke versus not woke. And this is the most interesting one when they talk about Isaac and his position in the shop as a white guy. Right. This is really almost like nature versus nurture. Right. Because while he could never be a black guy and go through the same things a black guy's gone through, he still has grown up in in that world. So it's the way he is based upon how he's nurtured, how he grew up, his environment. And he's basically saying, this is who I am. So he's not black, but he's like, blackness is almost a state of mind. And I've heard people say that before. Right. 
You know, it's a state of mind. I mean, if mind. you're raised within that community, you know what I sure. mean? Like, you have no other identity. Like, why would you? I think there's still people that that play uh, a persona white people that haven't don't, haven't earned it because they haven't really lived in that world. Like, and this guy's basically saying I'm blacker than you because right. I I more satisfy the things that go along with what we perceive as blackness. Right. You know what yes. I mean? There's requirements to being black. Have you ever broke a Puerto Rican dude's arm for sweatpants money? When they get to Grandma's shed, why is she so decked out with giant power tools in Grandma's shed? Seriously. He opens the door and it's like, oh, and you're like, how does Grandma's shed? It was like the have- fucking evil dead shed, yeah, right? Really like, like everything I need. <laughs> it's like, chainsaw. It's like, strange. like all the hard close ups on Granny's right. chainsaw. Truly. <laughs> that guy. Somehow got paid during his interview to give Calvin the money for his haircut. He had to like kind of yeah. steal that haircut, but he was it's like, true. it paid off because for some reason they gave they him gave money him, yeah. immediately. Yeah, they, they gave him his first paycheck when they um, hired him for the job. He <laughs> yeah. got the money. What? <laughs> He what? was like, yeah, hold on a second. Pulled the guy pulls out his wallet, like, hey, here's a signing bonus, and just yeah. crumples up a few yeah. like twenties at and throws it at him. Now make sure you go over to the barbershop and pay him off. No, take this money. I don't want it. Barbershop two back in business. We back in business. Even though they didn't go out of business, as I said. <laughs> no, no. In the same way in the first movie, we had the story of the ATM in the background. This weaves in Eddie's backstory. Yeah. So we get a sense of what Eddie was doing. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't necessarily work for me. It's, I don't know. You know, it kind of reminded me of the second Cars movie or perhaps the second Men in Black movie where there was a side character who was the funniest character and mm-hmm. people really loved in the first movie and then they blew him up. Great fucking catch. Like You're right. He's, he's, he's like Mater. He's Mater. Yeah. You're totally yeah. right. Yeah. And we liked him as a side character initially, and then they were like, well, let's just jump on this. Yeah. And no. But it, it seemed, like, inconsequential to the rest right. of the movie, too. Like, mm-hmm. it, And then the ending was so like, wow, what a terrible payoff. Like, yeah. that just mm-hmm. went nowhere. Sir, I am very nice to black people, okay? Not to black people. You better be, especially me. I keep my stuff with me, okay? I cut you. You can check out me. You can look me up on your little internet, www.cutamother.com. That's me right there looking at you. Little bookkeeping. Uh, of course, we got Queen Latifah in this film. She's you. You yes. might call her the female equivalent of Ice Cube. I think that was their thought. Yep. Harry Lennox played the Nappy Cuts owner. Okay. Yes. He plays Martian Manhunter. That's right. In, yeah. In uh, the, the DC. In, I think he was only in the Snyder Cut. I yeah. don't think he ended up being in right. the movie they released in theaters. Thought I'd mention it because of your superhero stuff. Yes. You got Keenan Thompson. Yes. Trilogy superstar. Mighty Ducks, of course. Right. Been on SNL longer than any other person. Right. I hate him. As an actor on SNL, I hate him. I think every time he acts, he indicates. He's always laughing at himself. He's always, I'm acting. He always has a smile on his face. He never takes what he's doing seriously. Well, when I was growing up, I knew him from when his, you know, first thing, when he was on All That back in the day. He okay. was like on this yeah, I know. kids Keenan sketch and show. Kel and shit. And, and then Keenan that. and Kel. Keenan and Kel came on Netflix and I watched a couple episodes and I was like, you know what? It's fucking great because it's it's written like the Honeymooners and their chemistry works so good. Just watching the first couple episodes, I was like, he's almost like at this point, like a comedy genius. He may have, because he's been doing this for so, so long, that I think he's fallen into some like bad patterns. No doubt. And I think that has like affected his performance a little bit. Kel, I just have one question. 
What? Robert Wisdom plays the Alderman yeah. in this movie, and he is a trilogy superstar. He was in Dark Knight Rises. He played Army Captain. Dark That's Knight right. Rises. He does. I believe he's also on The Wire. Is like yes, his he big was. Thing. That's yeah. his big thing. Trilogy superstar, as is Garcelle Bouveau, plays Loretta. She was in Spider-Man. Yes. She plays... Uh, Doris Toomes, yes. Michael Keaton's wife, yeah. like an important character. I find that this movie, there are certain references, and I, I think I wrote a lot of them down, but there are certain references and things that I'm like, it kind of dates the movies. Like, they're certainly well, movies sure. of their time. Sure. So, For example, early on, like the first conversation, Eddie Lesson number one in this one. Yeah. Okay. He's talking about the DC sniper. Yeah. It's I, I honestly thought, but fuck all the fuck Jesse Jackson, fuck Raoul Sharpton. I thought like you're basically praising the Beltway sniper. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the most risque shit you guys have but done. But it feels like they're trying to mimic the outrageous things he said in, in the first one. Right. Like he again, he's just a guy who's an instigator. And I know you about to say something, don't even say it. I ain't saying nothing. I ain't saying nothing. I'm thinking it. I'm thinking it. It's interesting that they they constantly are trying to save this barber shop. Like anytime something comes up, it's like the community comes together and they pull this barber shop out. And then this guy comes in for a haircut and is like, "Yeah, I've sold the cleaners." And everyone's like, "Oh, that's fine. No one hangs out there." Like yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody's like, "We gotta save the cleaners." Yeah, I yeah. clean my stuff there. So what's going on today? Oh, just the usual, young buck. Just another day at the laundromat. Yeah. While people come in, they do their laundry. We chatted up about some of the topics of the day. <laughs> That's just another day hanging at the mat. I don't know if I want my hairdresser signing my head when he. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't. I don't know. I thought that was kind of dumb. A little weird. A little yeah. weird. I mean, an interesting way to take his character, because what else are you going to really do with him? Before it was like, I'm blacker than you are. And now it's like, now I'm like, now to everyone else, like, no, and I'm blacker than all of you. Yeah. Like, okay, calm the fuck Don't get down. crazy now. Yeah. You're blacker than that guy, but right. like, not of all of blackdom <laughs> are you the blackest person who's ever black. You can't, come on. Christ, I'm blacker than you are. You don't even know how rich it is. When we yeah. go to the beauty shop for the first time, they make a uh, an oral sex reference, which is also a trilogy reference when they mention Mini-Me. Yes, a Mini-Me uh, reference. I don't really... I didn't really get it. I felt like it was along the same lines of pussy. like, oh, she's the right height, you know, yeah, like my kind of thing. Like, yeah, your his head goes up to my pussy. Got yeah, it. Yeah, you know, sounds Bruce. like maybe she wanted Minnie me to crawl up inside her. Hey. Just gonna put it out there. Like that bit from uh, Step Brothers. I'm gonna roll you into a little ball and shove you up my vagina. You could just live there. It's warm. And it's it's cozy. Your vagina. Meanwhile, could the alderman be more oily than they've made him out to be? I mean, could he be more like obviously corrupt? Like, yeah. why, like why would anyone vote for him? He's hitting on the women. Yeah, uh, it just it's a little much. See, he comes in like he's Billy D. Williams in yeah. the Colt Forty Five yeah. commercials. Real, you know what I mean? That's like, a real caricature. Yeah, You're allowed some. Yeah. you know, you can take it to a. A level of you know broad comedy, but when you go to caricature, you're just making a fool of us. Well, right. I don't claim you can have a better time with Colt 45 than without it, but why take chances? There's a couple of references uh, I'll bang out right here. Just go. I think either date the movie or our trilogy references. Go ahead. Uh, they have a line where he's like, "Oh yeah, you can move down to Florida with their funky ass voting booths," and I was like, "Whoa, yeah. that is a very dated, dated." And then uh, you also have a Chewbacca reference. The the, oh, yeah, the girl the, with the hair, she looks like Chewbacca, and they all start doing doing the voice. Yeah, Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. 
and 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 2000s Beyonce, which is like, do I look like Beyonce? And she's got basically it looked like the hair from fucking Austin Powers. Yeah, is that what Beyonce looked like in 2000? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know think that. so. You got an R. Kelly reference in there. A couple of R. Kelly, uh, R. Kelly references. Then it was kind of edgy, like oh, R. Kelly, pissing on girls. Ha ha ha. He's yeah. still making music. Now it's like, oh no. Yeah, what he did was terrible. <laughs> oh, very bad. Yes, <laughs> and then you got fucking the the every flashback with Cedric the Entertainer joining every black group of all time. Yeah, uh, like I was like, what the fuck is he like? Forrest Gump? Like, <laughs> why, why is he just going through? Like, I just happen to be everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had a fight in the middle of your Black Panther party. <laughs> Man, a fool's crazy. I really hate the cookout scene. Not only because, you know, they shoehorn in the whole idea of Queen Latifah, we, right. we discussed how annoying that is anyway, but on its face, it's a bad scene. And let yeah. me tell you why. And this was like, I would say the signature scene of the movie that Eddie and Latifah go back and forth. Now, when I was a kid, making fun of someone like that was called hacking. Now you'd say you got jokes or burn, right? right? It is the kind of comedy that personally I like the most. I love making fun of things and people. I like mom jokes. Yo, mama jokes were very big. When in the I 90s. was in high school, that's all we did. Me and my black friends, me and my white friends. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. It's piss poor, the two of them going back and forth in that scene. They yeah. don't have any good jokes. And then on top of it, Latifah is mugging and mugging over and over again, trying to do voices. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. trying to add on to the joke and be like, oh, child. Like she's doing shit and she's mugging. Yeah, it's as simple as that. She she sounds terrible. Yeah, she's try. I she seems like she's trying to spice up what would seem to be no script. Right, like they didn't right. have a like script they just for decided it. they're like now you guys make fun of each other and well we'll just see what we can get. You yeah. guys are two funny people. We should no. She's not funny. She's a yeah. rapper. Right. He's funny. He's a stand up comedian. You're right. just a rapper. So you you're not good at this necessarily. Right. It sucked. Don't and then know. Cedric just backs off of it at the end and like apologizes to her like she got the best of the situation and he's forced to apologize yeah. to her. What? There's sort of a beat change that doesn't really make any doesn't sense. Doesn't make there. sense. Yeah. Let me tell you something, you old Negro spiritual, waiting in the water. <laughs> the next time you snatch some food out my niece's head, I'm going to kick your ass. And then I'm going to burn your freedom papers. Calvin later says, he guess he's talking about his baby, and he's like, I want him to have everything that I didn't have. Your father owned a business. It doesn't seem like you went without. <laughs> it seems like you're giving him the same exact thing that your father <laughs> exactly. gave you. And you, the whole point is that you want to give him what you got. Child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. So yeah, that's a really sloppy scene when the alderman comes in for the photo shoot. Yeah, I think it really makes no sense that that Cedric is stops him from cutting the alderman's hair and lets Keenan do it. Right, and like he's like, "What are you doing?" And he was like, "Oh, there's gonna be musty TV." <laughs> and they're like. You're ruining the shop. Yeah, you're hurting like, the shop. What the right fuck now? are you doing? Like, Funny. we just watched the whole thing of like all these scenes of you having this hard connection to the shop exactly. and like all this stuff, and then you're just like, "Whoa, you know, it'd be funny." Exactly. It's like you let the new guy cut his because hair. Because I think it's a funny premise, but it doesn't make sense that it comes from Eddie. Right. It's more right. funny if the guy something else happened and he sat down and yeah. Keenan fucks it up. That's fun. That's fine. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But for Eddie to be the one, that doesn't make any like sense. Like if somebody, like if the the white guy, if Isaac was mad at yeah. him, you know what I wow. mean? That took two seconds of thought from you and I right. we, made, we saved the whole scene because it would help his story too exactly Keenan constantly it feels like they're trying to find things for him to do exactly in the movie he's just he's not necessary like I like it feels like maybe the studio pushed him in uh-huh I mean I finished barber school on Wednesday and now I'm working in the shop today 
that's how family supposed to do for each other. I love you, man. Around this time, you get Eddie lesson number two, where we learn about, through flashback, where we learn about how he got connected in with the shop and the riots and everything and how he stood in front yeah. of the window. And that kind of his lesson there is that like his life began when he had a purpose. Right. He was this and that. He was wandering. He was free spirit. But when he had purpose and had focus, that's when his true life began. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty good lesson to have, especially for people who aren't sure of what they want to be or what they want to do. Sometimes it's thrust upon you. And then once you're committed to something, well, that's life. That's what it is. Right. For Eddie, it's like, this is everything. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my home and I'm and it's worth right. protecting and I owe it to Calvin's dad and now it's just my home it's yep. where I am yep. whereas for like these other characters it is just sort of like an important stepping stone for them you know what I mean the Loretta story is is very stupid because it ends with him just like finding Loretta again and she's like well, let's go home and we're back together why'd you leave what happened what brought we us get here what 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 happened here no we never we they somehow split up they found each other and she's like they let's even go do, home when he sees her again they do this fake out like oh you ain't changed she's like yeah, yeah you didn't change either uh, and I'm out of here and then they tell her like oh <laughs> is this what you usually do or is yeah. this just like you were mad for a second and you're like it was a build yeah. up for nothing yeah I ain't with that shit it's not worth it in the uh, council meeting scene he gives that speech or whatever and there's a moment where they it's a shot of the guy who owns nappy clips or whatever nappy, nappy cuts. cuts they have like a like everyone's applauding and they cut on him and he very quietly <laughs> very quietly says you're through you know that don't you <laughs> and then turns his head and looks across the room at the alderman yeah right and i'm like who the fuck are you talking to? <laughs> who, who, who were you like? Was he talking to Calvin or was he talking to the Alderman? Or yeah, like, it's like really... I, I really couldn't understand. I had to rewind it and look at it again. I'm like, yep, there's no one near him when he says that. And then he looks right at the Alderman as if maybe he's talking to him. But they show you he is way across the room. And he said it so loud. There's no yeah. way. Like, what was he saying it to himself? Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? All right, so then we finally, many years later, get to Barbershop, the next cut. And in one second, they're like, look, Ricky is gone. We're going to show you in the first shot that Common has stepped in here. He's not here anymore. My head was fucking spinning at the beginning of that movie. It moved so fast to be like, let me catch you up in the last 12 years. So this yeah. guy who's my childhood friend who you don't really know very well because uh, we never showed him before, um, he comes in and I introduce him to Eve and Eve got married to him. And it's just like, what's happening? And it's all through the guise of him writing a letter to the city of Chicago. Yeah, I don't. What was the context yeah. for that? Like, dear Chicago, we haven't talked in a while. Um, I just wanted you to know that uh, my best friend works with me now yeah. and married my other, basically my other best friend. And, well, uh, Chicago's not going to write you back. Dear Chicago, you still ain't written a call. <laughs> I sent two letters back in autumn. You must not have got them. There probably was a problem at the post office or something. And I love that they set it up like it's like, you know, Barbershop is back because the world needed Barbershop yeah. to come back. Now it's time for Barbershop to comment on the community. Instead of the celebration sequence that we saw in the credits of the second movie, we right. have like a call to action, like it's danger in right. the third credits. We're right. seeing how bad things are in Chicago. So again, it's like I said before, it gives you a sense of the black mood at the time, 2016. Right. In this movie, we got uh, Nicki Minaj who's stepping in. Yeah. She's just a big fat ass. Mm -hmm. 
singer. I, I mean, literally the the entire movie is just them like, damn, yeah, mm. and I'm I like, mean, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you can go on Wikipedia and look up all the famous things she's done in the world of music. And speaking of Minaj, for me in this movie, you cannot understand what she's saying, especially in the beginning. You add in Eddie, then throw in JB Smooth, and you've got many people that do not <laughs> articulate when they speak. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a good listener, but I can't follow a lot of this. Well, and the right. reality is, I don't know if you noticed it too, but it feels like, especially early on, a lot of the dialogue of Minaj and the feminist girl is dubbed. Their lips don't seem to be matching what they're saying. There's definitely a lot yeah. of dubbing early on. Anyway, I'm on that new shit. Every trend I introduce it. Motherfuck you when I beg that. I'm a racist, I'm a bigot. Bitch, I'm thick on that I'm Yeah, I'm crazy, just a smidget. Motherfuck me, get my wife, oh, that's okay. Common as well, who has done a lot more acting, but he's also a rapper that, oddly enough, used to have a big time beef with Ice Cube in the 90s. Like They beefed very badly. Really? Yeah. You got J.B. Smoove, who we know is a trilogy superstar, MCU Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great addition. And uh, Lizzo actually has a cameo in this movie. Also, one other thing, the Indian guy, um, Utkarsh Ambudkar. Sure. He's a trilogy superstar. He was in Pitch Perfect. Oh. So. I set fires to feel joy. That's adorable. Isaac comes in for just like a quick cameo. Jimmy comes in for a quick cameo. They're not really involved in the story anymore, but we see them for a second. Isaac, in fact, comes in and has completely forgotten how he talks in the first two movies. Yeah. It doesn't sound the same at all. Uh, he's not the only one. Uh, Cedric the Entertainer seems to have forgotten how he did the character in the first two movies as well. He literally looks like that the fucking barber that Arsenio Hall plays in Coming to America. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, with the, sure. that perfect like yeah. helmet of gray hair and a beard. Like, exactly. Yeah. Pound for pound, Sugar Ray Robinson, the best fighter that ever lived. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we mentioned that because to me, that was the introduction in my world to the black barbershop. His mama named Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, early on, you have Eve comes back, right? And so we're kind yeah. of reintroducing this character, and they like go out of their way to like talk about things that were in the first two movies. So they talk. She mentioned it has an apple juice reference, right? And then they reference that thing she does in the bedroom that was in the first movie, right? What do you think she does? It's like, damn, that bitch lights your dick up like a candle. She lights it on fire and blows out that shit. Like, what does she do? Like, what is she? She, hits, like, she hits your balls like I, a speed bag. I what wish, is she doing? I wish we found out and it was something like really ridiculous. Yeah. Like, <laughs> validating this woman by her one sexual action that she can yeah. do. It brings it all the men, gets her common. You're breaking up with me. <laughs> I mean, come on, baby. I mean, look at you. You, you ain't even all that fine. I mean, you, you just average. What? I didn't mind at first because you was good in bed. You do that thing. Oh, 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 oh wow. Oh, that's, oh, that's good. Really good. Wow. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Anthony Anderson. I, I don't understand why he's in the movie. But he has a scene where he's talking to his, I guess, his grandmother yeah. is doing all the cooking and, and or running the kitchen with all these guys. He gives her a sack of money and holds it up. And I'm like, that is the fakest prop money I have ever <laughs> seen in my life. There's like a hundred written across it real big. I'm like, that's not <laughs> what right. money that's looks not like. not what money looks like. Nope. Meanwhile, that woman that plays his grandmother is a famous YouTube cook, celebrity cook. She's dead now. That what? But she's a famous celebrity soul food cook on YouTube. Really? Yeah. I thought she looked familiar to yep. me. Okay, so look at that. Make sure it's got a lot of cheese, especially when you have company and shit like that there. They be like, ooh, her macaroni and cheese was good, but bitch didn't have much cheese in it. And so then they, they think you chicken shit. Sit down. Cheese all through the bitch. 
cheese all through this mother. Uh, I just want to say, when JB Smoove comes in and we're introduced to him, he insults Eddie and mentions two trilogies back to back in insulting him. He calls him a dinosaur, so he references Jurassic Park, and then he makes fun of his hair and mentions Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, yeah, two yeah, trilogies back to back. At this point in the movie, Eddie is weak because he's not doing anything, and he never would have accepted JB Smoove come in and just own his ass the way he did. He yeah. just takes that shit. Yeah. That's not the Eddie we know from the other two movies that he would just allow that to happen. Right. So right. stay true to the fucking character man yeah first two-thirds of this fucking movie eddie is just sitting there begging to do something yeah i've been around a long time here son and what y'all you do is sell fake ids nickel bags of weed and pit bull puppy talking about a puppy gonna lick on somebody's face <laughs> it sounds too freaky for me i don't want no puppy licking on me it's just not uh, african-american sounds very very caucasian Scott, you got that scene with Common and Nicki Minaj in the car when he thinks she's trying to invite him up to his place? Obviously, she's trying to invite him to his place, yeah. Uh, watching the two of them try to act together in a scene so stiff is like two AI machines that have been given the act command and told to just go and do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how you know AI won't work, because that's it right there, and right. it's not good. Yeah. Poor pacing, poor delivery. There should be a blinking sign above their head that says, these are yeah, not yeah. trained actors. Yeah. And then she leaves him and he's in the car talking to himself for like 30 seconds. And it's like an improv game that's gone off the rails where someone's on stage talking in China yeah. to make sense of what the audience is seeing. Like, it's, it's fucking nonsense. It's yeah. unbelievably bad. Yeah. And Jesus, man, Colin, you've been in like many fucking movies. When I saw you in Smoking Aces, you weren't that bad. Yeah. I don't remember being like, he sucks in this. So what happened here? He seems out of place. I wonder if they had to do some like reshoots and replace him or put some. I don't know what the fuck, but it uh, seems like so like he's jammed in the movie. Yeah. But there is something good around the corner because it's around this time in the movie. It starts to improve for me. The last third. Because there's actually stakes in a plot. Yeah. Now. That always helps movies when like a, if a movie's being sluggish and you put like a time frame on the rest of the movie. It's like it's 48 hours, right? Yeah. Like there's going to be 48 hours of the ceasefire. I feel like right away we're like, oh, OK, now we know what the rest of the movie is going to be. Right. Make, you know, right. you know, the ceasefire is going good and everyone's dancing. To, everyone's to, happy. Uh, to actually to a trilogy song here with uh, it's James Brown Funky Soul, which yeah. is what he dances to in Spider-Man 3. All right. <laughs> when he's doing that nerdy. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing to brag about. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a trilogy connection. Yeah. There yeah. And I, mean, I love it. They're all dancing. When you see these people experiencing joy, these people, these people, <laughs> when you see the cast experiencing joy together you want to be characters you, you want to be a part of that joy it's infectious yeah then yeah. suddenly the cop comes in oh, coming in there like oh, he's no. the fucking uh the male guy from the the war office in fucking <laughs> a <laughs> league of their own right like jeez, <laughs> oh, here we go who's he gonna stop in front oh, of any spaghetti or whatever <laughs> right. spaghetti and meanwhile i keep waiting for the cop to say the obvious thing when cube is like doesn't matter da -da -da -da. yeah yeah you're waiting for the cop to say the obvious thing say it say it then only when we get to eddie lesson later on eddie says you saved a bunch of people right anyway think about how many people didn't die right we're just right. wanting it to be said someone tell ice cube so when eddie said that i'm like thank you man that's yeah. the, that's the line and you know what you're 100 right because it feels so fucking weird this like nah that's it i give up where all it had to take was the cop to go you know what let me tell you man in the past 24 hours our numbers have been so low thank you and you know it would have been a nice scene to have a cop be like yeah. I'm, I'm involved with the community i live in this community right. and thank you for doing something right i also love 
say what the after the cop tells him all this, that cop just will not fucking leave. Oh yeah. He's just standing there awkwardly while they're having the fight, like, um, uh, all he has to do is be like, he's dead. Uh, have a good day, you know. And Would you walk like out. to know what he looked like when he died? <laughs> <laughs> and like, it gets to the point like everyone just starts leaving the scene, and JB Smooth has to walk up to him and shake his hand yeah, to basically I saw be that like, too. leave, like a, get out now. Yeah, I yeah. felt like JB Smooth just kept seeing him there. I'm like, this feels awkward Gotta that we're not something. acknowledging this guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Excuse me. I got a telegram from one of you ladies from the War Department. Boy, I hate these. These are the worst. The least the army can do is send someone personally until your husband's dead. Um, but of course, after the conversation in the bar, Ice Cube has one of his revelatory moments where he must address the barbershop as he has in the other two films. And and, and says something that they all realized three scenes ago. Of course. <laughs> and that he should have known from the start. What was ultimately so, sort of decided in the first movie, what it is for people and for himself and what it can do. Yeah, we got to hear it again. And you have that strange conversation at the end between Gerard and Brie, the feminist girl. Mm. Somehow they like get Suddenly together. Suddenly a romance. And again, there was nothing hinted at this. There was no indication that that was going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, I know. Yeah. Completely out of left field. I mean, and it was almost like I liked his character enough that I was like, oh, uh, good for him. Me too. I accepted it. Yeah. But and it I'm came like, out of nowhere. And I don't really remember much of her besides her being like, you're a hoe, Nicki Minaj. You I remember, know what I mean? I remember like, that you wore a shirt that said Karma made me for the whole movie over <laughs> multiple days. Maybe change yeah. your shirt every once in a while. Well, I mean, they were there for 48 hours. You could still go in the back and put a sh new <laughs> shirt on, you smelly shirt. bitch. Yeah. Karma made me. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Nicki Minaj refused to wear a shirt the whole movie. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Just like the relationship between Ice Cube and the salon owner. doesn't The same kind of out of left field. These things yeah. are what, happening in the background? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and at this point, we really don't care about new characters. No. You know? Like, focus no. on the characters we care that about. That we loved so much in the first right. and to some degree the second movie. Yeah. Go and on. they constantly are pretending like Common's been here the whole time. And I'm like, but he hasn't. No. Eggs will be broken when you're trying to do something like this. When you're trying to make a comedy and also make a statement about gang violence and violence in Chicago. But you know what? This is fucking barbershop. Then yeah. make a movie about that stuff. And let's see the joy in the people in, in barbershop. Because it's a comedy. I mean, I, it, it is sort of looking at the same issues, but, you know, in a different time period. You can't be helped when you're when you're talking about, how, I guess, how things have changed from the early 2000s to now. Right. But I don't know that necessarily reads good movie. No. What I do know is that Common and Minaj, who are huge parts of this movie, were a mistake, and they brought the movie down. Agreed. Just get out the way and let the gentleman do his thing. Respect yourself. Da, 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 da. Respect yourself. Scott, we came up with a really good assignment for Phil in this one. You know, we're talking about barbershops. Yes. Um, we're talking about occupations, things that people do for a living. So we thought we would immerse him into uh, some of the things that have to do with this film. Yes. So we gave him an interesting project. Yeah. See what happens. Hey, folks. Phil here, your field correspondent for the Trilogy Podcast. Vin and Scott thought it would be a fun idea for me to get my hair cut at the same kind of establishment depicted in barbershop. However, we spoke to nearly every black-owned barbershop in New York City, and they made it very clear that they want no part in what they refer to as white nonsense. So I thought, why not showcase the classic barbershop experience in my childhood growing up Italian-American? After all, deep down, we all desire the same things out of our grooming— Quality service, an eye for style, and a welcoming environment. Perhaps we're not so different after all, hmm? 
Anyway, I tracked down the same barber who used to cut my hair when I was a child. Gino Molto Pericoloso. When I was a kid, this guy was the best. Nowadays, Gino's retired, but he agreed to come out of retirement one last time to cut my hair. Let's go. Buongiorno, Gino. <laughs> Bongino. <laughs> you know, we have fun. Gino, buongiorno. Thanks for agreeing to do this. It's great to see you again. Don't you remember me? I used to come in all the time and sit right here in the corner and watch you work. Remember? Ah, porco bambino! Certo che mi ricordo di te! Ah, good. My Italian's a little rusty, but I think he remembers me. He also may have made a crack about my weight as a child, but I can't be certain. Here, here, sit down. Uh, feels good to be sitting in this chair again, Gino. I gotta tell you, I haven't had a full-service cut in years. First, we give you a nice close shave with the straight razor. Oh, this'll be a first. I stopped coming here before I could grow facial hair, so I've never really had the pleasure. Uh, say, Gino, you're looking a little shaky there. You okay? You know best, I guess. Oh, scusi. I'm uh, a little uh, rusty. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Bound to happen, I suppose. So, Gino, what made you retire from cutting hair anyway? I, I got the, como se dice, demenza. Demenza? Dementia? Si, si, demenza. Also, Parkinson's. Oh, fuck. Okay, maybe we should stop. Don't worry, I have weeks. Ah, shit. Stop moving so much. I've been literally motionless. Oh, fucking Christ. That was a Stop a moving! Okay, you know what? This was a mistake. You're just swinging at me like you're chopping down a goddamn tree and I'm covered in my own blood. Just let me out of here, please. You no move! Oh, fuck! Ah, you see? Stay firm! Stay firm! Stay firm! Stay firm! Bellissimo. All right, Scott, let's finish this fucker off. Break it down for me. You know, I, I went back and forth a little bit, but I think after I find it's always good uh, to go through the episode. And after we've talked, I kind of sometimes will change my opinion. Me too. So I think ultimately I'm going to have to say my order is one, three, two. And I almost honestly almost said three first. Mm. Only because I do think that the the comedy was punchier. Uh, there was more jokes. There were better jokes. There was better comedic timing because you had more comedians in the room, I think. And, and again, I don't think it's like it was a cataclysmic failure to try and make a movie about uh, gang violence while also making like kind of a lighthearted, you know, family comedy yeah, almost. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, just like we talked about it, just too many angles, too many people shoved into it. And yeah, yeah. And I think ultimately the first movie got the basic concept right. It just yeah. it showed us what a barbershop was. It showed us the, you know, wide spanning kind of conversations you can have there. And I think it, you know, did its job. The first movie taught the lessons that needed to be yeah. taught. Second movie, we said, you know, was a classic cash grab. And then I felt like this one was kind of an interesting take to take it and apply it to something that's happening today in the community. Yeah. Rather Rather than like, oh no, that we don't get the money for the orphanage. The it's barbershop's going to close. It's hard to you know, fault like, them for like going for it, right? In yeah. the world of the arts nowadays, with the carbon copy bullshit we see, yeah, they went for something. They tried something, right? So I'm not going to hold that against them. Yeah, and I thought it, and you know, we thought the, the third act of the movie, I think, really clicks Big and time. really goes, really goes well. Big so um, yeah, I'm going to say one, three, two. Successful or not successful? 
That's the hard. That's the real. That's the hard one. I think it is hard. I think I'm ultimately gonna have to say unsuccessful um, as a trilogy, just because they were trying to bulk up some sort of franchise here uh-huh. with Beauty Shop, and they, I, in their mind, they probably thought they were gonna have seven of these movies. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it, you can kind of feel that in the second movie, and yeah, the second and third movie both have these clunky, jammed in scenes and people mm-hmm. and plot lines. I thought the first one, I was like, that was a good movie, but how many times can you double down on that idea? Yep. And I, and you know, we come back to this conversation many times when we do this. Podcast, but yeah. this is a classic one of yeah. The the first idea was good enough for one movie, but not so good for three. Okay, so. and I, I mean I'll keep it simple. I couldn't agree more. That's my order as well. I got to tell you though, when I was watching the third one, I was like, oh, this is going to be a one, two, three, because the third one, through half to two thirds of it, just in, enraged me for some reason. I was like, just just goes against what the message was of the first movie, and you're adding fucking common and and menage to it. It sucks. But it really redeemed itself at the end. And you can't fault someone for trying to do something. And I'm not even talking from a, a sociological perspective, trying to help people in the black. I don't even mean that. Right. I mean, taking risks in filmmaking. Right. You know, and it is a different time. 2016 is different than 2004. Yeah. So it's not going to be exactly the same. Right. But I think ultimately it comes down to the first movie getting it right the first time. Right. It's fresh. It had zing because it was new and there was no reason to embellish upon that or change it. Yeah. Of course, the second one was just a cash grab. Yeah. And the third one was all over the place. So, yeah, I got to go one, three, two as well. And I was still toyed with the idea of saying it's successful because I didn't hate any of these movies. But because the second movie is so easily identifiable as just a cash grab, right. as a ripoff. Right. I got to go unsuccessful. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you follow us guys we are on instagram one to two times a day brothers and sisters i'm putting up posts that really mimic what we talk about during the podcast trying to put up different little videos and i'm on tiktok as well trying to give you motherfucking content content giving you the content i think it's really good i I would put my content on social media up against the greatest comedians of our time with respect to humor, wow. relevance, that's a bold statement, and analysis. So yeah, check you think us out. Your content is funnier than Cedric the Entertainer, without question. Do you have the Entertainer in your name? No, I'm well. I'm more like Vin the Antagonizer. Uh, and that can be entertaining. As irritator, yeah. The bastard. The shitster. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Trilogy Podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter. Are we still calling it that? X. X. I don't know, but we're there. We also have a YouTube account where we put a lot of really funny content. Here's what you do. You plan yourself a nice long road trip. Yeah. You, you offer to drive. Go okay? ahead. You get all your friends in the car. If you don't have a car, get a car. Steal a car. I don't care. You put all your friends in the car and you're like, hey, do you want to uh, uh. pass the time you want to listen to a podcast and you just fucking put every episode we've ever right. done on and you don't let them out of the car right until it's done and then you force them by gunpoint to write us a review and you know i'm getting to the gang violence again just, you know you I, know what it's, I, it's like i've learned nothing you learn nothing from these i'm sorry all right yeah so review us now scott please bend over so i can shave your ass but why it's all part of the episode i don't understand do it mm-hmm.